Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. So we're going to continue in our series, and when I thought about, uh, you know, make room, one of the things that, that came to mind, there was three particular stories, and, and I'm going to kind of share a little piece of them, uh, and we're going to really focus in on one, but there's three stories that just came to my mind in that thought process of making room. One of those uh, stories was the, the widow woman that Elijah came across in 1 Kings chapter 17. In 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a famine in the land. Even uh, the provision that, that uh, Elijah had had the entire time, the brook dried out, the, the, the ravens that were bringing him food and, and everything, all that was moving and, and God told him, I want you to go to Zarephath and there's going to be a widow woman that I have prepared for you there. And so he comes into Zarephath and he, he encounters this widow woman who is collecting sticks and he goes up to her and he says, listen, I need you to make a meal for me. And, and she says, I, I don't have enough for me and my son. Uh, that all I have is just a little bit, and I'm going to take this, and we're going to cook our last meal, and then we're just going to die. We're, we're going to starve to death. We don't, we don't have anything else. And Elijah said, if you will make a little bit of bread for me first, then God will provide for you throughout the whole famine. And you see how when she made room and offered God her first, that, that God provided. And throughout the entire famine, every time she went to the oil, every time she went to the flour, there was more than enough that was there. The second story that came to my mind is a story that really is part of how we birthed our church. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4 at the very beginning. And there's this widow woman who has a need. And the prophet Elisha comes to her and says, listen, I want you to go collect jars. Collect as many of them. He, he says this phrase. He says, do not just collect a few. In other words, make plenty of room. Every vessel, go to your neighbors, find any vessel that you have. And then I want you to go behind in, into your house. And I want you to take the little bit of oil that you have. And I want you to begin to pour it into those vessels. And it says that as long as she poured the oil into the vessels, as long as there was room, there was provision for her. And then when she said, hey, bring me another vessel, and they said, there is no more, then that was it. The, the pouring came, came to an end, and then the prophet said, go take everything that you have, sell it, and, and, you know, pay off your debtors because, you know, in that time, you didn't just get harassing calls from a debt collector. They didn't just turn in something on your credit report. This widow woman's husband had died and the, the people that she owed money to were coming to take her children. And some of y'all may be like, you didn't come get mine right now. Especially if your kid is in toddler years or teenage years. You kind of act the same, just a little bit different age group. But you, you may be like, they can come to my house and they can take them. But, but for this widow woman, 
Her sons were her livelihood. It was her future because the sons were going to take care of their mom. And so if the kids got taken away, then it literally meant that this widow woman would be forced for her entire life to be begging for her entire life to just try to go glean in the fields to find whatever. It was, it was literally like a, a, a sentence to live in poverty for the rest of her life and to, to be alone. And then the third story is right after this, again, in 2 Kings 4, and this is the one that we're going to focus in on a little bit today. And this is literally about a Shumanite woman who literally made a room for God. She uh, knew that the prophet Elisha used to come through the town all the time, and, uh, and she would cook food for him and invite him into the house. And, and, and so every time that Elisha would come through, she would, he would stop at the Shumanite woman's house. And so she wanted to, to make a room for him. And she goes to her husband so that she can provide for them and make a room for him. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where the, the prominent woman was, and she persuaded him to come in and to eat some food. And so it was that as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat food. Come on, when you know somebody cooks good, you're going to make any effort to try to get over to that house a little bit and, and get some of that, that food that they're cooking, get some of that, you know, like every Christmas, one of the things that, that I do is try to find out where Miss Denise may be because Miss Denise makes the best peanut butter fudge that there is. And I know that if she is going to be cooking for some type of a outreach or a ministry Christmas party, or something like that, like I'm going to just show up and just be like, hey, how are you guys doing? I just came to check up on you and hey, y'all did a great job this year as I'm filling my pockets with Miss Denise's peanut butter fudge, you know, because the, the way to keep a, a pastor happy is by cooking some good food. And so Elisha realizes this is, this is a good cook, this is a good place to stop, and so she always invites him in. But then it says, she said to her husband, now behold, I perceive that this is a holy man of God that is passing by us continually. So please let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand, and it will be that whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So she made like a fully furnished apartment for Elisha to come and to stay in her home whenever he was passing through town. And one day as Elisha was passing through town, he's, after he's eaten dinner, he's sitting up in his furnished apartment that this Shumanite woman has made room for him to be in. And as he's sitting there, he looks over at his servant Jehazi, and he says, Jehazi, what, what can we do for this lady? And he, he, sends, he says, go, go, get, go get the woman and let her, let her come in here. And, and so she comes in, and he says, listen, what can I do for you? You have been so faithful. You provided, you, not only have you provided food for me, you literally made a room that while I'm traveling through, I have a place to rest. You made room for me. You were a blessing to me. What can I do to to bless you. Can I go talk to the king for you? 
Can I, can I go talk to the army? Do you need protection? I can talk to the general of the army and make sure that he protects your home and, and that everything is good. And she says, listen, I live among my own people. I'm good. Like, this is a low-maintenance person. Like, she wants to live her life to be a blessing. She's not doing it for what she can get out of it. She's doing it because she recognized the anointing that was on Elisha's life, and she wanted to make room for God in hers. Her motives were pure. And I think that's very important because a lot of the gospel that we hear today when it comes to the area of giving or that type of thing is give so that God will give you more. Here, this woman didn't have that type of attitude about it at all. She was giving, expecting nothing in return. I don't need anything back. I just want to be a blessing to you. And so Elisha goes to Jahazi and says, Jahazi, what, what can we do? Like, what do you know about this lady? And she says, well, you know, he, she doesn't have a son. Second Kings uh, verse 14, it says, what can be done for her? He says, truly she has no son and her husband is old. And he said, well, call her. And when he called her, she came and she stood in the doorway. Now, she's much like the same position as the widow woman that we just read about, that, that her husband, this, the first widow woman, her husband had died, and then her sons were getting ready to be taken away, so she's going to have to live a life of, of poverty and everything. And this woman, when her husband passes away, she's basically on her own. She has no children to take care of her. And, and all of that. And so Elisha sees that this is a way that she can, that he can bring blessing to her. And so in verse 16, it says, he told her at this season next year, you are going to embrace a son. Now remember, it just said her husband was old, which means she probably wasn't very young herself, like, there, there's this age thing. It's kind of like an Abraham-Sarah type thing where they're, they're getting a little bit older in age. The, you know, it's less likely that there's going to be children. They haven't had children up to this point in their life. Why do they think it's going to be any different? And she just looks at him and says, Oh, my Lord, man of God, please do not lie to your maidservant. In other words, don't, don't, don't get my hopes up. I, I, I've learned to deal with where I am. Please don't, don't give me any false hope. And I think so many times we're the same way with God. We, we hear somebody say something. You know, sometimes a, a pastor will preach a message or maybe even a pastor stops and kind of gives a, a prophetic word or word of knowledge or, or something. Or somebody comes and encourages and speaks to us. And there's a part of us that because nothing has happened so far in our life, we have a hard time believing that anything is going to change. But, oh, my Lord, but do you not realize that I've been barren? My husband is old. If it hasn't happened now, how is this going to happen in our old age? How many Christians today live with the mentality of, Look at all my circumstances and the way life has been up to then. Why do you think anything is going to change? We hear a message about what God can do in us and what God can do through us. But yet, we, we, we start feeling that little tug and that anticipation that maybe God is speaking to me. 
But then the fear and the doubts and all the reasoning why it couldn't happen for us begins to come in. And he just says, listen, he doesn't say you might. Like he speaks this time next year, you are going to have a son. And then look at verse 17. And the woman conceived and bore a son in the season the next year, just as Elisha had said. The woman who, this, this is now a son who can grow up and take care of her. Like, her future and everything has changed. And I think a lot of times, the way that we see Scripture is that, okay, God works a miracle, and so now they live happily ever after now, right? I mean, that's the type of thing you see in Disney movies and stuff, you know? You've got all this tension, you've got all this stuff that goes on, and then there's the climax where, you know, they end up getting married, and she moves into the palace and everything, and then how do they end the storybook story? And they lived happily ever after. And so, so many people in their walk with God, they serve, they give, they do things for God, and then the minute that God blesses them, they expect that everything is changed now. I'm never going to face trials again. I'm never going to face heartache again. I'm going to live happily ever after, because isn't that the gospel that we preach a lot of times, that once you start seeing like the, the blessing of God in your life, now everything's going to be happily ever after, and so so many people, they stop at the first blessing making room with God, because they see that that, that they've had a, a blessing at some point, and it's like, okay, now I can ease off. I don't have to make as much room for God. I don't have to serve as much. I don't have to give as much. I don't have to pray as much because now I've arrived. Now I see the blessing of making room. But let me tell you something, just the fact that you walk in blessing in one season doesn't give you an automatic pass that for the rest of your life you're going to walk in blessing and you're never going to meet struggles again. And this Shumanite woman, even though she made room for God, she made a fully furnished apartment for the man of God. She fed him every time that she came through. God miraculously worked in her and enabled her to be able to conceive and give birth. But one day her son, as he grows up, he goes out to work with her, uh, with her husband, with his dad, in the fields. And he begins to complain of a headache. Like, and he, it's so bad that they, they bring him home because he's in so much pain. And verse 20, it says that when they had taken him to the mom, that she sat him in his lap until about noon. And then he died. Can you imagine what's going on in this woman's heart? God, you gave me a son. And he was going to be able to provide for me in the long run when my husband passes away. And now you take him? Come on, let's be honest. How many of us... If something like that happened, we're praying for something. We're, we're praying for a promotion. 
We're praying for a child. We're praying for a breakthrough. We're praying for some of these things. And then we start to see a blessing in our life. And, and we see the, the provision. We see the, the miracle. We see whatever it is that God did in our life. And now it seems like unfair. It's taken away. Your first thoughts are going to be like, God, why? Why would you do this? God, do you not see what I've already done? I mean, in her mind, she, if this was me, I, I know what I would be doing. I'd be like, God, I spent all my money to build an upper room apartment for your man to come into our house. And now you're going to take my son. Don't you, don't you know? Don't you see? But look at her response. Verse 21 says, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and she shut the door behind him, and she went out. I think it's very interesting. She could have laid him on his bed. She could have laid him on their bed. She could have laid him anywhere in the house. She could have taken him with her and built a cart, and I had a cart, and pulled him along. She could have done anything with her son, but her first response is, I'm going to take my son to the room that I made for God. I'm going to take my son to the space that I created for the man of God, and I'm going to lay him there. And then it says, and then she called to her husband and said, send one of the servants to me with some donkeys, because I'm going to run ahead to the man of God, and then I'm going to return. Her instantaneous thought was, I'm going to bring him to the place where uh, God's presence was there, to the place where I was told that he was going to come, to the place where the promise was, was given, and I'm going to leave him right there on the place that I created for God, and then I'm going to go pursue this man of God and bring him back. Because if God worked a miracle in my life before, then why wouldn't God be able to do it in my life again? And it says that as she gets near to Elisha, that they see that she's coming in a distance. And so Elisha sends her, his servant Jehazi, and he says, and I want you to go see what's going on with her. And verse 26, it says, please now run ahead and, and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? I think this is very important for people who are in ministry today. I want you to realize, look at what he did. He didn't just ask what's going on in your life. He's like, How, how's things going in your husband? Is he okay? How is your child doing? He was concerned with every aspect of what was going on in life, everything that was dear to her. Guys, we've got to be more intentional, especially those who are in ministry and stuff today. It's not just know people for what they can give to you or, or all of that. But know what's going on in their life. Get to know people. And guys, that's why small groups are so important. That's why connect class is so important. That's why serve teams are so important. It's because that's where you're going to get to meet people and learn about their kids. Learn about their dreams. Learn about what's going on in their life. Elisha knew that her husband was old and that this could be the fact that he had just passed away. But he also asked about the child as well. And look at, look at her answer to Jehazi. It is well. <laughs> now, I know a lot of times at funerals, we sing the song, 
it is well with my soul. But come on, in the very moments when you just lose a child, your first thought isn't that everything is okay, that it is all well. And she goes to Jehazi and says, when Jehazi comes to her and says, it's well, but she didn't stop right there. She continued to go and, and meet Elisha because Jehazi wasn't the one that spoke the promise into her life. She didn't build the upper room for Jehazi. She recognized the anointing that was on Elisha and she wasn't going to stop until she got to the man of God's feet, not just the servant of the man of God. She didn't want to stop short. She was going to go all the way to the man that had promised, that spoke this into her, and had seen this miracle take place in her life. And verse 27, it says, when she came to the man of God's feet, to the hill, she caught a hold of him. She fell down on her face at his feet. And Jehazi tried to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. Don't you see that her soul was troubled within her? And God hid it from me. I, he didn't tell me what was going on in her life. And then she looks up at him and said, did I ask for a son? Didn't I tell you not to deceive me? Didn't I tell you not to get my hopes up? Didn't I tell you not to, I would, it would have been better for me not to have this son and have hope than to have the son and, and have the hope and then have it ripped out of my life. Why did you do, this isn't what I signed up for. And many times in our life, and many Christians in their walk with God, there comes a point when things are going wrong, when they're in the middle of a tragedy, when they're in the middle of a trial, and they have this thing of, God, this isn't what I signed up for. God, I felt like this was supposed to be my spouse for life, and they left. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this type of pain. God, I took a pay cut and went into ministry and I started serving here. But ever since I started serving in this ministry, it's been nothing but heartache. It's been nothing but trial. It's been nothing but struggle. I didn't sign up for this, God. I made room for you. And this is what I get. Don't you see where I am? Come on, I think sometimes in church we, we have to take that little halo off and we have to take a moment to really evaluate what's going on in our life. How many of you ever had those moments where you're just like, God, this hurts too bad. This is too much. I had one of my kids that had gotten in some trouble and I told them what their punishment was going to be. When I told them what their punishment was going to be, they hit their knees. They're like, it's too much. I can't do it now. Anything but that, Daddy, I can't do it. It's too much. And I was like, you had the choice to do the right thing or the wrong thing, and you chose to do the wrong thing. Now I have the choice as the parent as to what the discipline is going to be that we're going to bring into your life. 
And so many people look at the circumstances of their life. They've seen the blessing of God. They've seen the faithfulness of God. But then when they see the tragedy and things, they come to the point where they're just like, God, it's too much. That's why you see so many ministers walk away from ministry. And some of them have like PTSD, like they ain't getting back in ministry anymore because they're hurt, they're broken. They, I, I don't know if y'all know this, but church folks can be mean. I'm not saying not necessarily in this church, in this room right now. I just pray the mean people away or that God changes them. Just, God, do something. But we have to realize that when we make room for God, it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through conflict. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through pain. It doesn't mean that we're not going to come to the place where we see, I don't have anything left to offer. I, I can't, I can't, there, I'm empty. I'm completely, there, there's nothing in me that I have to offer anymore. It's too much. And that's where this woman is. And Elisha hands his staff to Jehazi and he says, I want you to run ahead and I want you to go Lay the staff onto the child, and I want you to pray for the child to bring life back. And then he started on his way. You know, I, I think a lot of people probably would have, if that, if Jahazi is the person taking the staff, and he's the one that's going to go pray over your kid, you're going to turn, and you're going to run with them and go with them. She didn't. She stayed right there with Elisha. Can I give you? One reason why, and this, this is a good thing because all of us are called into ministry in some type or form. And so it's a good principle to understand. The reason why she stayed with Elisha is because Elisha is the one she had relationship with. Elisha is the one who knew about her husband and her child and all of the Jehazi just ate. She didn't even, she ran past Jehazi. And Jehazi, when he saw her in torment, Jehazi tries to pull her back. Like, he couldn't see. Jehazi, you go on later, and you see that, that, that Jehazi had some issues in his heart and stuff. He, he went, and you remember when Naaman was healed of leprosy and everything, he went back, and he collected the clothes and everything. Jehazi was one of those American church Christians who was in ministry for the benefits. She didn't have time for that. Can I tell you something? The world doesn't have time for people who are just in Christianity for the benefits. The world will see through you if they, if they, don't, they, 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 don't, they don't care how much you give. They, 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 they really want to know how much you care. And if we just run by people and use people and, and, and you know, neglect and don't get to know people and everything, guys, I'm telling you, this is why it is so, so, so to be connected, to serve, to get in connect groups and stuff. Why? So you can build relationship because relationship is what will open the door to ministry and speaking in to other people's lives. If you want to make room for God in your life, make room for relationships with brothers and sisters in the house of God who are not your family, who are outside of just your little limited circle of friends. 
Jehazi runs ahead. He puts the staff on and nothing happens. And you know what Jehazi did? He gave up. He starts heading back toward Elisha and them. They're on their way. He had already given up. Staff didn't work. All right, let me go tell them. It says he met them halfway. And he told them he, there's still no breath in him. And Elisha didn't look at her and say, well, sorry, it's over. It says Elisha went, and it seems kind of morbid in a way. But he got face to face with that dead boy's body. He literally laid himself out onto the young boy. And then it says that the boy began to get warm. And God raised that boy from the dead. Now here's the amazing thing to think about. When this woman built the room for Elisha, she had no idea, one, that it would be the place where he would promise that she would have a son. But two, she had no idea that it would be the place where she would see the miraculous power of God raise her son from the dead. So I got this question for you today. What is God calling you to do today that may be the setup for your miracle tomorrow? If you don't have that note sheet and have that, you need to be typing that into your phone. You need to be writing that down. If you got social media, you need to be posting that. That is Instagram worthy. What is it that God's asking you to do today to make room for him? That is the setup for your miracle tomorrow. I want to show you three things, benefits that happen in all three of these stories that we looked at today when they made room for God. The first one is this, is that when they made room for God, they had a secure future. Every one of these, the first two, you know, the, the, the first widow thought that we're going to eat this food and we're going to die. This is it. There's no hope for me. But because she made room for God in offering her first and her best, because she made room for God in doing that, then throughout the entire famine, for the rest of the time that there was no rain and no harvest and everything in the land, she was fully provided for. God got her through the famine. And guess what? Elijah was there when her son did die, and Elijah raised her son from the dead. She offered a single meal to the prophet Elijah, and it led to the resurrection of her dead son. Something so simple to make room for God. But in that moment when she was there and it's like, I have to give the last of what I have. This is all that I have and you're asking for. It seemed like something so strong. But how many of you would give away one meal to see your child who died raised from the dead? Every parent in here would be like, I would definitely do that. But in the moment, it seemed like a very hard thing to do. Little did she know that it wasn't just for provision through the famine. It was for provision for the rest of her life. Because her son was raised from the dead and he was going to be able to take care of her. The second widow woman was able to pay her debt off. She paid her debt off 
She was able to keep her sons. Her sons were able to provide for her for the rest of her life. This third woman makes room, literally takes the body of her dead son and sets her in the sets him in the room as she made. And God raises her son from the dead. So for the rest of her life, her son, it was not only a miracle child because he was born when she wasn't unable to have children, it was a miracle child because God raised him from the dead to even be able to provide for her for the rest of her life. Second thing is this, is that when you make room, it will impact your children. The first and the third son were raised from the dead. Come on, how many of you, that's a big impact on your child's life there. He was dead. He was so dead that he'd already become cold. And God raised him from the dead. The other two children and the second widow, the second widow, they were getting ready to be sold into slavery. But they weren't because the parent made room for God. Parents, are you making room for God in your home? Are you making room for God in your finances? Are you making room for God in the way that you live your life, in your calendar? Do you make room for him by making time, talent, and treasure? Don't think it only impacts you. It impacts every one of those children that are watching you. Because if you don't make room for God, they won't make room for God. If you put a priority on sports and you put a priority on hunting and you put a priority on hobbies and you put a priority on money, then your kids will follow suit. But if you put a priority on the house of God, the people of God, the word of God and all of that, then it will impact your children to where even though they may be spiritually dead, that God will raise them up to spiritual life. Some of you have children that are far from God and the thing that can raise them up is you begin to make more room for God in your life. And when they begin to see the changes in you because you've made God a priority in your life. It'll be the thing that raises up children who are spiritually dead to spiritual life. For some of you, it's not your children. It's your husband. It's your wife. They're far from God right now. But what you need to do is make room for God in your life, in your home, in the way that you treat your spouse. And watch how God will raise them from the spiritual dead and give them spiritual life again. We make room for God. And the third thing was making room led to unexpected miracles. None of them knew that their sons would be raised from the dead or would escape slavery. The widow woman, when she offered her meal, she just thought she was gonna get food. She didn't realize that she would get her son's life back. When this, the Shumanite woman, she wasn't even expecting anything in return. But can I give you some? You can't outgive God. When you make room for God and you sow into the kingdom of God and you do all of those things, you're never going to be able to outgive God because God is a giver. God is generous. God loves. God sows into people. He, 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 no matter what you offer him, he will always give you more than anything you have to offer him because that's just his character. That's who he is. But I think it's important that our heart and our motives are completely pure when we do these things because God sees those things.
think we need to serve, not for the attention of man. We need to serve because so, we love God. We give not so that we can say what we gave and so that people can you know, pat us on the back for how generous we are. We give because God said to give. We just do that out of simple acts of obedience. And it creates miracles in our life. I have this question. And I want you to think about this. And I want you to even pray about it. What, what miracles are waiting on the other side of us making room for him that we are completely unaware of? And I think it's important that we ask ourselves, God, what are you asking us to make room for? You know, as a church, there's been several times when God's asked us to make room at a service, at a campus. I remember when we did the Arise Conference. I think it was the, the second Arise Conference, third year we did the conference. We sold out the, uh, I think the second year of the conference, first year that we were in this building. And they were praying about, well, what do we do? And we came up with this crazy idea of, let's do two conferences in one weekend. And for some of y'all are like, well, what's so crazy about that? You've obviously never served behind the scenes at a conference because that is crazy to even try to pull off. And when we did, what did we see? We saw God fill both of them. Every time we've made room, we've watched God fill it. And it's not just because he loves iHeart Church, it's because he loves people. If you will make room for God, he will fill it. If you will make room for God. Some people want to see miracles take place in their life. And I'm telling you, it's on the other side of obedience. It's on the other side of making room in your life. That's not just as a church. It's every individual. That's every family. I want you to bow your heads for just a second. I want you to ask God, God, what are you asking me? Where, where do I need to make room? And, and I'm going to tell you something. For some of you, it's going to sound so simple. For one widow woman, it was go collect jars. For another widow woman, it was make Elijah the meal first. For the Shumanite woman, it was build a furnished apartment. Father God, we just come to you today. And Lord, we just ask you to show us where we need to make room for you. God, if there's areas in our life that we just say you're the Lord of, but really haven't made room for you in those areas, then God, Show us. God, I just pray that 
you just let faith rise in our hearts, God. And we see that if you did it for these two widows and you did it for the Shumanite woman, you've done it for the church. And God, let us see those examples and take that step of faith to make room for you. God, I pray that if maybe we've seen your blessing before in our life, or maybe we're even in the blessing right now in our life, I pray that we don't just settle in and go into cruise control, God. But that, Father, we recognize that just like this Shumanite woman, there may be something down the road that we need to keep that room open. God, I pray that we don't fill up areas of our life busyness and finances and hobbies and all of those things and push you out, God. Let us continue to make room for you so that we can see your blessing for, toward us, but not just toward us, but God, that it flows through us, God. God, I pray that as a church, that this isn't the first time that we're able to take up an offering and just sow it into other ministries and other churches and God I pray that this is the norm Father God that you bless I heart church so that we can be a blessing God may we never hoard it but may we always make room leave room for you to move in our life God move in our church move in our families Father we love you God, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.